How are you? My name is Ben, Ben Potter, and um, yeah, I'm blessed to teach the Word this morning. Um, just when uh, the announcement, not that I'm, I'm trying to continue our morning of announcements, okay? Please have patience. But I have to say something about the Father's Son Campout. Um, my dad, you know, um, just it made me just think about so many times that my dad was just, he would always try to get me outdoors. He's always taken me out. And, you know, my, my dad was not the most perfect guy. He had a lot of things that um, he's, he's worked through and that God has done in his life. But, man, my dad was a guy that was intentional about spending time with me and just being him. So it wasn't like I was just a sidekick. But, and I just I think that all these things that we desire, like great things in this church, community groups, we want, we want to see the fathers investing in their daughters, the fathers investing in their sons, and families coming together, marriage retreat. All these events are, are amazing and great. But what's going to actually bring change is, is for our culture and our, our mindset to change, right? Like these are things to help kind of springboard us into seeing our families differently and just seeing our lives differently. And, and I think of my dad, I just, I don't see a perfect man, but I see a guy that was intentional about spending time with me and investing in me. And uh, I thank God for that and what he's done with my, with my father. So, um, yeah, just there you go. That's my short little two cents announcement add-on to the add-on. Yeah, okay. Um, let's pray, huh? And we'll get into God's word. Lord God, we just, we just come with open hands. We just want to receive from you this morning. We want to receive your word. We want to receive your truth. And God, we're not here seeking just more knowledge. But God, we're, we're seeking life change. We're seeking for you to remind us of who we are in you. And for those who are not in you, God, we ask that this would be a morning that they, that they come to know you, that they come to see the grace and the mercy of God. And so, God, we, we come here because we know that you love us and that you love this world and this city. And so, Father, we ask for you to do great things through your word. Teach us, Lord. Open our minds, our hearts to your truths. I pray you'd help me to be faithful. In God's name, amen. 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 Um, all right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Um, yeah, while you're going there, um, let me just kind of bring you a little bit up to speed. This is a letter written to Christians, okay? We're there. Now, for us to get this, we can't just, we can't understand what we're going to read here if we under, unless we understand where we've come from. So just to summarize, I mean, chapter 1 Paul is, is really getting into saying, this is who God is. This is who Christ is. Define, 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 define who the Lord is, what he's done. So it's this, this vertical coming down to earth, this um, interaction of God, God to, to earth here. And then as we see in chapter 2, it starts to, we start to see this, this hope unfold. That this is how God has interacted in our world He's gone to the cross and done something with our sins, all of our sins, canceling the record of debt. We, we, see, we saw this, you know, last few weeks we were looking at, like, what God had done on the cross for us. And then we have, it's like this mountaintop experience that we have, kind of like if you've ever been to a youth camp. You go there, you're fired up, you're pumped, singing, the music is so loud you can't even hear yourself. You're like, wow, I'm such a good singer. You know, you're screaming and yelling, and then all of a sudden as you start to descend the hill into, you know, the the smog and Orange Cove to Bakersfield and make your way home, you start to realize, wow, this is, this is, this, this life now, the majority of my Christian life, what does this look like? 
and as Christians, we, we, have, we have such a great time honing in on conversion and what God has done on the cross. But then, what does it actually, actually look like for us to come down into real life where the majority of our, our lives with Christ exist? And, we, and I think we have a hard time understanding, what does this look like? Does it look like me just, now I become an evangelist and I have to do everything I can to be out there? Because I have friends that are amazing evangelists, and I look at them, and I'm like, wow, how do they do that? How can they strike up a conversation so easily about God? Why can't I do that? And we, we kind of come into this, this lull, this awkward state where we have a hard time understanding what do we do from the cross? How does the gospel play out in our lives after conversion, after this great news, after we come off the mountain? I don't know if you ever have these questions. Um, I definitely do. And, um, and so that's what, what Paul's going to show us in this passage here in, in Colossians chapter 3. It's like this turning point in the whole letter to these Christians. He's bringing us into this is now how the gospel plays out horizontally. We saw what God had done coming to you, pursuing you, reaching out into to your deadness, bringing you to life, bringing you into his story. Together we are raised with Christ we celebrated that a few weeks ago. We're stoked on that. Now we look at kind of what does this now look like as we get involved. And what's the mission that God has for us as Christians, as the people of God? Um, and so this is, this is such an undertaking, okay? Um, when I was, every time I study the word, I love to read what Spurgeon had to say on the text I'm teaching. I mean, I just feel like he's just, he's such a poet and uh, the way he works his words are just like, oh, I wish I, I had that. And I'm just, I love, I love his words. I'm so edified and encouraged. And when, he, when I was reading the, the sermon he, he, he did on this text, he said this. He says, uh, it was the advice of an aged tutor to a young student not to take too magnificent a text. I have sounded that a warning in my own ears this morning. This little text is yet one of the greatest in the whole Bible, and I feel lost in its boundless expanse. So I read that, and I was like, oh, my goodness. This is the prince of preachers, and, I, and he feels lost. You know, what of me? You know, I'm just like, I'm done. You know, and so we're going to pray, and we'll move into worship now. But, you know, hopefully you can just study it on your own time. And uh, we're going we're gonna to practice that this morning now. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, let's get into the text. We already prayed. Colossians chapter 3. Um, yeah, starting in verse 5. You know, I'm going to start in verse 1 because I like to put this in context. Context is very important in reading anything in the Bible um, that we don't just nitpick little verses and create something that's not true or un- incomplete. Verse 1, amen? Okay. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put put them all away. Anger, wrath. Malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Wow. All right. So we're going to focus in kind of on James. Pastor James kind of covered these first, first four verses. So we're going to look at these decks 5 through 11. Um, and what Paul does right at this turning point, chapter 3, he kind of turns the focus to what God has done for the entire world, what he has made available for all people, this, this forgiveness of sins, this, this doing something with our sin, not just sweeping it under the rug, but actually dealing with it in his own body on the cross on our behalf. And then he goes, in verse 1, he says, Then you who have been raised with Christ... So he hones in, and this is very important for us to, to see that what, what Paul is doing, because if you just take these kind of texts and you, and you just lay this up to someone who doesn't know God, it doesn't care, and you start laying these, these, these great aspirations of, of, of bearing his image and walking in holiness, you're, you're just beating a corpse. You're, you're not doing anything to help them. So what, what Paul's doing here, he's very intentional with his words because he understands that these people have died and have been raised. There's been a spiritual transformation that's happened in these people's lives, and therefore he can move into deeper things. He can press on into, into the greater things that, that have to do with these people's lives. Um, I hope that makes sense because it's very important in the way that we interact with people. It's easy, and it's easy to beat, I guess, on the will of someone and say, here's what God demands. Here's what you owe. And... And in the end of the day, you're just loading them with a burden, and you're not giving them the gospel. You're not giving them the gospel that says Christ has bore this for you. So Paul is going to beat on the identity of these people before he kind of gets into what's required of you. What's, what, what is God actually asking of us with our lives? Um, for example, here's another, another piece right here. Look at verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. So two, two different words that Paul is kind of getting at here. The fact that he brings up this word, therefore. Anytime we see this, you have to take the context of what was just happened. And what he's doing, he's saying, because of all these things, all these indicatives, these things that have happened to you, that now allows us, because of that, therefore, this is, we're going to put to death the earthly in us. We're going to get after it because Jesus has gone to the cross, because he's made himself known. Because he's dealt with our sin, because our life is hidden in Christ, therefore, let's move from that. Let's understand that as, as who we are before we kind of move into getting after our sin. If you go the other way around, you're going to become a very good legalist, very good Pharisee of knowing everything God requires of you, but not leaning on the source and the power to actually deal with the sin. So this is interesting because... Traditionally, as Christians, uh, it's, it's very easy for us to see the gospel as something that just kind of gets us in to knowing God. It just kind of opens the door, and then we, we so easily, for some reason, we, we switch to, now get at it. Now, sh- now show, pretend as if you could lose your faith. Pretend as if this thing is fragile, and it's up to you to show your determination to God. And these kind of things are, I guess, are easy to teach, because all you got to do, you're, you're fearing people into this. Right? Those of you who are parents in here, isn't it easy to fear your children into obeying you? You're like, if you do that, a wooden spoon's coming out of the drawer. You know? Isn't that easy? But isn't it harder to actually tell your, your son or your daughter and say, Man, Mommy loves you. And, and I want you to obey me because I love you. 
that's a little different approach and maybe harder. And maybe it's going to take time. Because I know me, man, with the times when, when my dad would, I mean, my dad was a carpenter. He had hands that were like, like rocks. And, and when, they, when I felt it, like when he would scratch my back, I don't know if that's weird, he would, he would just rub his hands on my back. And I was like, ah, oh, goodness, ow. You know, there was like this roughness to his hands. I, I, I pretty much believe that he sanded wood with his bare hands. You're like, some guys on the job said, hey, you sander? Got it. Just, my dad was just, he's just a big man. I'm, he, I don't know why I'm so short, but, you know, um, thankfully my little mother, you know, five zero or whatever she is. And, but my dad, you know, when, when he would threaten me, now, okay, there's a place for, for punishment, right? I mean, God, God is very clear that there, there is punishment. There is a wage for sin. But when, what Paul is doing with these believers is that he's bringing them the gospel, saying, look at what you've been given. Look at what you already possess. And because of what God did, let's get after our sin and get very serious with it. Now, he uses this one word in there, too. He, he says, therefore, and then he goes, put to death what's earthly in you. And I just think these are kind of funny words that he's choosing right here. Because if you look at, um, just look back a little bit. Verse 1, he says, um, he says, seek the things that are above. So f- seek those things up there. Set your minds on the things that are above. Verse 2, you will therefore appear with him in glory. Verse 4. And then he says, put to death the earthly in you in verse 5. So he's, he's reaching for things that are beyond human, normal human life. And um, also in uh, Corinthians, he does this the same thing with the Corinthian church. Uh, I like this verse a lot. He says this. He says, for you are still of the flesh, while there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not, are you not of the flesh and only behaving in a human way? <laughs> it's like Paul saying, why are you behaving like a human? You know, what's, what, what's up with you? Why are you acting so human these days? You're like, are you serious, Paul? I am a human. You know, what do you think, we're elves? Come, come on now. You know, it's, what are you trying to make me do, you know? And it's almost like I think Paul, or the, the audience could get a bit frustrated with the words that Paul's using here in writing this letter, put the death earthly in you. Now, we have to see the drift, okay? We have to see where Paul is taking us. He's taking these words because of what God done, has done for us, now we're going to seek, we're going to see where we're going. We're not going to be earthly anymore. We're seeking what is above. We're seeking the future grace and the future glory that's on its way. In other words, it's like this. We have in front of us this beautiful book called Revelation. And it tells us what is going to happen, the reality that's going to come. Now, I believe that, that that book was not given to us just so we come up with silly left-behind movies and, I don't know, charts, you know, or whatever. I mean, my goodness, one time I, I took a group of students to a missions trip down to El Salvador, and we, there was a church before us there, and, and I came in, and there were these booklets everywhere of, like, this intense, like, 30-page chart on how the end times is going to go down. And I was like, my goodness, I was a student reading this. I would freak out, you know? And he was taking, like, little verses out of Revelation and, just missing Jesus, just missing what Jesus has promised for us. And what, so, okay, let me back up. What Paul is doing, he's saying, because you're going this direction in your humanity, what does it look like for this life to live differently? Um, Calvin, in his book, The Institutes, okay, we okay with that? Calvin, okay. 
Okay, look. A lot of people like to interpret Calvin and add to him. And, and, and he had a jacked up family. I'm like, you don't? You know, like, it, like, we like to take people and just add things to him. And I don't know. I've been really blessed by what Calvin has had to share with me on living as a Christian. And if you don't agree with everything, that's okay. We love Jesus. But, but in his piece on the Institutes, he talks about Christian life. And his, his, his format is this. First, he talks about what does it look like to be cross-bearing. His second is the meditation of the future life. And then thirdly, the use of the present life. So Calvin says the way that we see what's coming is going to actually affect the way that we live right now. See, if we see where we're going, that's going to change the way that I see people in this time right now. It actually changes the way that I invest in this world, that I'm not just sitting on a lawn chair waiting for the end to come, just chilling, drinking a root beer, that I actually see that I have purpose here and now, and this kingdom, this new kingdom that God is creating is coming down to earth, and man, I get to be a part of that mission, that implementing this kingdom. And so this is interesting in in, in seeing these things of where Paul has given us these words of putting the death to earthly and on and on and on, reminding us of our identity. And then he's going to get in. He's going to get into these next verses here. Put to death, therefore, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them to death, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. We'll stop there. So Paul is going to now get into, after giving us who we are, where we come from, he's going to lay, lay down, these are some issues and some things that have to be dealt with. Um, just as a disclaimer, the fact that Paul is mentioning that these different sins that are going down, really two categories, sexual sin and verbal sin. The fact that he's mentioning these things means that they were present in that church then and now, then at that time. Sometimes we can have this tendency to look back and look at, why can't we just be like the early church, right? You ever feel like that? Like, why can't we just get back to that raw, organic community that was just serving each other? I mean, maybe it would be, it would be thrilling to be a part of that first century, um, no doubt there. But but sometimes we, we reach back and we think that that was like the glory days. But what Paul's given us right here, it's just painting a picture that's really not too much different than us. It's not really too much different. These are things that we wrestle with, right? Uh, excuse me. Um, and so what Paul's going to get at here is he's going to start to ask the question. He's going to lay out all these things. But it's more so the question that I, I want to ask is why are these things, why are they sinning? So... J.I. Packer writes, has this quote about sin that I thought was really interesting. He says, when a Christian sins, he is momentarily suffering from an identity crisis. He's momentarily forgetting who they are in Christ. Because, I mean, I think about my own identity crisis. The times where I forget who I truly am. And I think what comes to mind and when, I, when I first asked that question to myself is, is my... my uh, <laughs> My being a husband to my wife. The times where I feel like more commonly than not that I forget who I am is when I see this anger, this frustration come out, out of me toward my wife. And, and sometimes it looks like, I mean, I've only been married a little over three years. I'm, I'm learning in this game, so don't judge me, all right? Uh, but the times I see, I want her to be just like me. 
and I want, I'm like, I'll get, I'll make, I'll get these like desires to say, why, why are you so different than me? Why can't you just be like the way I am? And I kind of make myself this, this standard of holiness. And, and I think what's going down when I read what Packer had to say about that, this fact that I'm forgetting who I am in Christ to her. I'm forgetting that God has set me up in her life to not just lord over her and set a standard for her, but to lay myself down. And every man in here that's married is like, yeah, good luck with that, man. Good luck. I know, I'm with you. We're, we're in this, okay? And, but this is the thing that's so bizarre. And I just think back, like, the fa- as, I'm, as I'm getting to know my wife more and more and more, I'm realizing, man, we are so different. Like, as different as, they, as you can imagine it, okay? And I see all the guys smiling, the wives smiling in here. We're like, we're so different, I know. Isn't it weird how, how God just, he puts together like such opposites? You're like, we might as well be in a cage fight, but you know, she's gonna obviously get some weapons because smaller. But you know, like there's times where I'm just like, how did this work? You know, why didn't I, you know, I don't know. And I think what God, God has a good, has a sense of humor <laughs> in, in doing this and pa- pairing me up with this beautiful, amazing woman that's so kind and so gentle and so soft and so little, you know, and, and it's, it's, and I see God's sanctifying work on my life and working on who I am and it's good. And it kind of get, I'm a little nervous for the, the kids that we're going to have. Like, am I just going to get a bunch of kittens or something? You know, it's like. Is that going to, like, humble me all the more? I do think that God may just give me girls, you know? That's going to be part of his, like, chill, Ben, mellow out. God is, you know, I'm going to work on you in this way. I don't know. We'll see. You know, they're going to be the most redneck girls you've ever met. But, you know, so we'll see. Love you, sweetie. We'll work on that together. Yeah. But the identity crisis that we, we deal with in many different ways, I mean, this could be an identity crisis with, with our jobs, but I think in our families, in our relationships, how do you, let me ask this question, how do you actually address the sins and the people that you love around you? What's your process? I mean, is it, because it's easy just to be like, man, you're terrible. Look at how much you mess up. Look at what you've done wrong. Look at how you've affected everyone. And they, most times, are, it's a process of, of maybe kind of trying to bring the fear into someone or seeing, I mean, my, I'm so scarred from my childhood, when I was in first grade, I remember my first grade teacher saying, I, I want you to obey because on open house, my husband's going to be here. And, and I tell him everything about you guys, and he may like you or may not like you. I was like, oh, my gosh. I want to be liked, you know. And it was kind of this fearing me into obeying her. It was just a very weird tactic. Um, but there's all these ways that we, we kind of work on, on, on each other with our sins. And what if it looked like this? What if when you confronted someone in their sin, someone that you love and someone that trusts you, okay? What if it looked like reminding them of who they are in Christ, bringing them gospel rather than bringing them law, rather than bringing them their failures? Saying, in, in other words, it's like this. This is who, I know you're not who, what you're acting like. I know you're not this kind of person. I know that you're not a liar. You're, you are a new, you're a Christian, I know there's better in you because of Christ. And challenging them in their identity rather than just trying to cut off the sin. Because it's like weeds, man. We just cut it off and it comes back and cut off and comes back. I mean, I thought it would be so cool and organic to grow a garden in my backyard and, until I realized how many weeds just constantly are taking over. And unless I get in there and, weed, and take up the root, get to what's causing this, 
it's just this endless battle. And it's easy for us to cut at sin instead of aiming at the identity. And so what Paul is doing in this text, he's not just listing sins so that we would just hack at them and say, now just clean yourself up and stop sinning. But he's kind of getting at this thing, and we see it in verse, at the end of verse uh, 5. Listen to this. He says, on a, let me see, back it up. Okay, list all these sins, which is idolatry. So we ask, why are these people sinning? Why are these Christian sins? Yes, there's identity issues. They're forgetting who they are in Christ, that their life was hidden in Christ. But more so, there was, a, there was an element of idolatry working into these different sins. You have to ask yourself, when you lie, when, you, when maybe you lie on your taxes or whatever it might be, why do you do that? Is it, is it because you, you just want more money? Is, is that it? You just want a little bit more in the end of the day? Or maybe behind that, there's actually a desire for you to provide for yourself. That in, in its essence, you don't believe God. Your faith is, is not in a way of salvation, but you don't believe that God can actually, that his gospel affects even your finances. That the good news, now I'm not here spitting lies about, you know, you should all be rich and then I guess I would be a lie. But um, what I'm saying here is that Behind these things that we do in sin, there's an element of idolatry in them. We may lie, on, or maybe it's your taxes, or maybe something else, maybe it's to your spouse, spouse, because you don't believe that God is enough to provide for you. Paul's going to get very specific in this text. His first category of sins is very much oriented. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He's listing all these sexual problems in this church. And we say, why does, why does adultery happen? Don't we understand it destroys the family? Don't we understand that it, that it just tears people apart? Maybe before the adultery ha- happened, in that person's mind, they thought that, they, that, that their spouse was the one, their provider of happiness, pleasure, comfort, security. They saw their spouse as that. And then as they got bored with that, tired of that, wanted something different, they go and find a new provider of pleasure, happiness, security, affection. In both cases, that person has made their spouse their God, the one that's going to provide for them all these things. Now, I want to provide those things for my wife. I want to, I want to be there for her. I want her to trust me. I want her to, to depend on me. I want her to to love me. I want her to feel my affection for her. But at the end of the day, I cannot be her God. Because if I'm set up in that role, I will fail. And I think, and I'm no genius, and I, I'm not claiming to figure this out, but at its core, I think what the, what's behind our sins and what Paul's getting at here is this element of false worship. You have, we set idols up in our lives that we think will fulfill us. And why is it that we constantly hear the story when it comes to idolatry that this person left this person and this person left this person and the cycle continues, that next person actually doesn't fulfill them. It actually is a continual pattern of destruction because in every scenario, that person is saying, this person is now my hope. And if I can just be with them, we'll be happy. We'll start over and we'll do this right. And they have a serious Messiah complex. They have a serious problem with setting up, making good things, 
making their husband, their spouse, their, their God, their provider in every single way in their lives. These sins that Paul is mentioning are traits and issues that come from the root, which is idolatry. We set up, I mean, if you think that your degree at Cal Poly or Cuesta is going to be the provider for your life, um, I just want to tell you right now, you're going to be greatly dis, dis, uh, dissatisfied and you're going you're to be let down because school cannot provide for you. It may be a tool. It's a good thing, right? We live in a college town. We affirm these things. But if you make that degree your God, forget it. You're going to fail. You're going to hit rock bottom. I was a rec degree, rec major, so, you know, I didn't really study all that much. But I, don't, I guess that wasn't an issue for me. But I imagine if I, invo- I, mean, I was like engineering, super freaky smart or something, I, this would be more of a, a thing. But I, I definitely wrestle in areas of, you know, wanting to see myself as, as the guy you can depend on. I want to I be that provider for people. You can, you can count on me. I'll be there. You know? And, and I set myself up in a place that only God can actually fulfill. Only God can actually be the one that can provide for us. And so what Paul is doing, as he reminds, he shows us that the gospel, God doesn't just deal with our sins on the cross. He's a continually reminding us of who we are becoming, setting our minds on him. Our life is hidden in Christ. Look up, look up, look up, look up. We have to go there. And yeah, okay, hope that makes sense because that's something that's very important for us to, to, to chew on. It's, a, it's a, of, of understanding our, that we, uh, man, we can't create these, these false gods. They, they will fail us every single time. Um, yeah, at this church, we, I'm just thinking, we, we're very serious. I, I don't mean to come across as that we don't care about sin. We don't care about the different acts of sins or like, you know, whatever, you know, God, God is a gracious God, forgives you. We're very serious about your sin, but we're very, all the more serious about your identity in Christ. That is of greatest importance to us. We want you to be found in Christ. We want you to see who you are as his image bearer. Now, this is where Paul's going to take us. This is where it gets good, okay? I don't mean to just beat on all these different sins that we wrestle with. Okay, thanks, Ben. You identified my, my idols. Great. I can't leave you there. That's, that's not the gospel. Um, let's con- continue reading here. Okay, there's this really verse. I know you wanted to hear about wrath this morning. Here you go. Uh, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Now, why, why would Paul, all of a sudden, in this little this, this phrase, and when we say we're building up identity, identity, what God has done and doing for us, why would Paul all of a sudden say, like almost it seems as if he's threatening them, right? He's like, so don't sin because God's wrath is coming and it's going to burn you up. You know, and it almost could be taken like that. Is why is Paul fearing us in to obedience? And I don't think that's what Paul's doing be, just because of his drift. What Paul, I think, is doing He's reminding these sinners of what was dealt with on the cross. In other words, what were you saved from is a great question to answer. Right? Saved from my sins? Yes, that's true. Saved from from idolatry? Yeah, very true. Saved from myself? Sure, okay. Listen to this. In Romans 5, we talk about this verse a lot. It's a great verse says this, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Yes, that's how we see the love of God. Since, therefore, you have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God. What, what Jesus bore 
was God's perfect justice, right? He bore the sins of me, and those sins deserve wrath. So when we talk about this word wrath, don't, please don't see it as a, just an uncontrollable rage. That doesn't make any sense with the story of the Bible. But what this is, is the outpouring of God's justice, his judgment on sin, is the wrath of God. First John, uh, the book the youth group just studied through, amazing letter. Um, it says in First John 4.10, one of my favorite verses, says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son as a propitiation. So this big word, basically just meaning the wrath-bearing object. Jesus stood in my place, bearing the wrath that my sins deserved. In other words, I am saved from the, the righteous justice of God. Something to think about. I don't mean to, to, to throw us in the deep end. Um, something to pray about and think about. God is, if Paul is reminding us of just the depth of the gospel. Okay, moving on from here. Look at, look at, verses, uh, look at verse 9 with, with me here. He's listing all these sins. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. Wow. What a, what a glorious text. So it's like Paul is preparing us. He's not just bringing up all these different things that this church was wrestling with. But he's bringing us into this. These need to be dealt with. Your identity needs to be secure in Christ because of God has this. He's got this work that he's doing in restoring the image of God in us. Whoa, what does that mean? What does that mean? And, and, and if, um, in verse 15 of chapter 1, listen to this. In defining Christ, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, on and on and on. Just finding that the beauty of, of Jesus. But Jesus is the exact image of God. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that as we behold God's image, we become like him. As we behold this image of God, it changes us who we are. Now, okay, Paul went from saying, put the death this earthly in you. I'm taking you somewhere that's greater. I want you to see who you truly are. And then right here in this verse, Paul is kind of giving us this, this is, this is where we're headed. We're becoming image bearers of God. And traditionally, when we talk about image bearing, it's easy for us to simply say, God has created me in his image. He's, say, he's created me as if he looks, I'm a mirror, and he looks at me and sees back himself. I get angry at sin. God gets angry at sin. I'm a loving person. God is a loving person. All these things, we kind of just see ourselves. But the image of God, when, when Paul talks about it, it's more so uh, a picture of mission, and it's calling for us rather than just what we look like. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Go old school here for just a bit. I need, need a little drink. I feel like a camel up here. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, this is where Paul is getting this whole idea of image. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Interesting that it's, there's a plural used there in our. It can't just be the, the angels and God. We here have this, this work. We see the Trinity is at work creating humanity. 
creating Adam and Eve in their image. Now, he's not just creating them to look like them. Listen to this. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds. That's ducks and geese and dove and all this, you know. Over the heavens and over the livestock, over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created them, man, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So you've got to see that the garden, what was going on there, what God was creating, he created this beautiful picture of the world, but then he, then he gave Adam and Eve this role, this job to have dominion over the earth, to take this wild, untamed earth, and say, now go and be my reflection to all of creation, that when they see you, they would see me. Likewise, when you see me, creation would see you. Or me. Confusing myself here. My goodness. So as God is working and reflecting through us to all of humanity, what Paul is saying, and okay, now we go, and we go on. Let's just, we got to get the whole story here. Chapter 3, go over one page. As Satan came to Adam and Eve, and they began to tempt them at the fall here. Listen to what the serpent said. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely... Okay, let me back it up here. Verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what's so interesting about this? Satan is tempting them with something that they already possess. Isn't that crazy? He's telling them, you'll be just like God if you partake of this. Aren't they already created in the image of God? Haven't they already been given all things and been given this beautiful mission? And what Satan is doing, he's saying, actually, you could become equal with God. You could actually let go of this image and worship yourself. Again, we've got this, this idea of false worship. And so what has happened in Adam was that the fall was not just the fact that sin came into the world, but that our image has been distorted and destroyed and, and confused. Our mission, and, and we ask ourselves, we, this is a question we just work on all the time. What are we here for? What, what is the purpose of my life? I mean, we have this awkward lull between conversion and our funeral, and sometimes we just are just trying to figure it out. We have so many different jobs, and our family, well, what am I doing here and I think it was rooted in this, di- this distortion of our image. Now, the image of God has been laid on all of creation. Every single person is given the image of God. But very few and some actually pick up the image of God and invest in it. What Paul is saying that God is renewing, that Christ is renewing this image in you. He's saying that you are now picking up where Adam failed at. You are now picking up my mission, and you're going to be my light to this world. That means, as he's going to get very specific here, there's no more distinctions. There's no more Greek, Jew, barbarian. Scythian was, was I guess, even more barbaric than the, the barbarians. And he's saying, in the kingdom of God, everyone is equal. Because, Dan, we wrestle with this, right? Don't you look at someone who has a great job, a great position, and say, man, I wish I was like them. Wish I had what they have. What Paul is saying is that you, in the kingdom of God, in, in, in his church, there is no more distinctions. There is no more color change. Like, the, the, we are all together in this because Christ is our identity. You remember what you've already been given in the gospel. 
And the way this plays out is we become very intentional with every area of our lives. We become very intentional with the people that are around us. When I think about that story of the rich man in Lazarus, the rich man in hell, he is not condemned because he rejected his city, but because he rejected one man. As image bearers of God, we have the opportunity to see that God has bestowed his image to everyone. And we want to see that image come to life in people. We want to see them take up the mission of God. Not just get converted and hope they make it. Okay? Because that's why we're just so about discipleship here. It's because we need each other. We need to have this community to work together and to challenge each other in our jobs and all these different spheres. We represent here in this room so many different ways of life, jobs, careers, ethnicities, different parts of the world, parts of the country, come together in one building. That's beautiful. And with that, we're given this opportunity to be very intentional in each other's lives in the city that we're in. Guys, we, we are, if you call yourself a Christian, you have been given this beautiful mission to pick up the work of God and implement it into this world, to be God's hands and feet. I want to I show a quick movie that... Um, this nonprofit that I'm uh, part of, uh, we're making movies for ministries, and it's been a blessing. And, but I want to show this, this recent movie that was just made, because um, I feel like it's very practical to a little bit what I'm talking about. So enjoy, and we'll just, yeah. is one of 12 districts in San Francisco. Uh, it is less than one square mile and it contains 37,000 residents. And they live in about 586 apartment buildings. Uh, and in addition to that, we have about 6,000 homeless in the city and the majority of them come through the Tenderloin every day. It's just been great, man. Just having it in my life, you know. Uh, so I get to see what a true friend really is, and you don't see much of that in this neighborhood. It's it's really bad. When, when the the people, it's like a bankruptcy of, of character and bankruptcy of uh, of love and and, uh, and decency inside. It's like they're already dead. They're like walking the walking dead, you know, in this neighborhood. That church has brought life, like life to this, to this neighborhood. And it's just like taking it back one person at a time, you know. Yeah. And one person is, is, is reaching the other people that won't listen to nobody else because they nobody else been there or done that. But they have, you know what I mean? And then those people listen to that one word that they got to say or that one encouragement. And they turn their life, start turning their lives around. As soon as they just open the door just a little bit, God can step in and move and, and, and use that situation to to uh, change people's lives and, and uh, it's just amazing, man. Most people have always had food. That you don't, you might say, oh yeah, they're hungry. You don't really realize what that means, you know, until you go to bed starving and you can't sleep because you're so hungry. And the people here sometimes don't have food, and it's, you know, it's really a welcome sight to see the kids coming with their boxes, 
and then behind that box is their beautiful smile. And that, you know, that really does something to the people here. It, it changes their whole day. We are just grateful. We're grateful. I'm grateful to have them in my neighborhood. You know, they can change a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, some people say, oh, no. You can change our neighborhood. Adopt a building is, uh, is our ministry to the people who are in the buildings. Most folks aren't on the street. They're hiding in their rooms, and we're going after them. And where are we right now? We're in the Tenderloin. We are in the heart of it, the southern end of the neighborhood. This is, the, this is where it's happening. This is crack central right here. I've never seen anything like this in my life. People are smoking crack right now and selling crack right here, right now. This right here is my adopted building. This is Crescent Manor. So when you put that on there, that's, that's, my, that's my building right there. I go there every single week. I'll have a Bible study there Sunday. I had one last week, too. summer intern for City Impact. I'm also a building leader for the Hamlin's Adopted Building Program. Yeah, we would love to have uh, a building leader in every building in the Tenderloin. So a building leader is someone who says, you know what, I don't know about the whole city, God, I don't know about the whole Tenderloin, but I can take one building. This is the fifth floor, and I have some pretty close friends on the fifth floor. There's like Stephanie, who we I just met with her a little earlier, and we were just we prayed, talked about different medical issues. Like if you boil down why we even exist, it comes down to one word, intervene. We just want, we exist to intervene on behalf of the people in the inner city of San Francisco. Cool. It's inspiring, huh? When I saw it, you know, I wasn't there to film that, but when, the, when our guys came back with that and saw the edit, I was just like, wow, that's it, right? God has incarnated in our world. He's come down to what we, to, to this world, and he, he's, he's involved himself in very intentionally in individuals' lives. And it may be overwhelming for us to say, man, this image-bearing thing sounds really cool and radical, but gosh, this is, I'm just one person. You know, what, what is that area of influence where you can involve yourselves and you can see that every single person in your neighborhood and across the street from you, that neighbor with the annoying chihuahua, that poops on your lawn, that you could actually be an image bearer. You can implement the glory of the new humanity of being, being found in, in Christ to them, to one person. This is really cool to see people going after individual buildings. I'd be happy to connect you with them or whatever you can find on the shelf. But I want, I want our church, I want our church to grow in this, to see that 
We're not just here just to see conversion. We want that, but we want to see us take up the mission of God. We're going to get very intentional with that. So we see that, man, Christ is all. Christ is everything to us. He's in, in all of us. He's in the family of God, and, he's, and we, when we see others that are hurting, we see that they need Christ, and they are an image bearer as well, and their image has been fractured. And God gives us the hands and feet to go to them and bring them the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Wow. We have so much to be excited about. So much work to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your image. For you have, you've given us something so beautiful to not just look at and admire, but to, to, to work out in our own lives. I pray, God, for every single Christian in here that you remind them of who they are in Christ right now. Remind them of the gospel first. And God, then help us to put to death that sin. Help us to get after your mission. Not that we would just be obedience police, that we would be about what you are doing in this world. We're looking forward to what's coming. God, we just ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit to enable us. I want to worship you now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.